Hi, and welcome to the Soberistas podcast. We are joined today with um, a topic, uh, which is the challenges faced at Christmas. And we're joined by Molly underscore three and Running Girl, who are going to discuss with me um, the different challenges that they faced at Christmas and also a few strategies for getting through those and coming out, hopefully smiling on the other side. So I'll just jump straight in and ask you running girl how long first of all have you been sober how many Christmases have you done if any oh this is my um in February it'll be my fourth fourth year okay this will be my fourth um fourth in a row yeah yeah so you're quite seasoned no pun intended (laughs) (laughs) yeah I, I guess you could say I am really um and it's been lovely to think about the challenges and to revisit that space um, because it's although I'm well established, the triggers still hide around the corners. So it's it's good to to be able to think about possible strategies as well. Because yeah, I think well, we're completely out of the woods at any stage, really. No, and and as and with Christmas, I think because it only happens once a year, you only you know that that's only you get limited exposure to it, I suppose, don't you, to get used yeah. to it practice and then in between each Christmas there's all that uh, onslaught of marketing and influence that seeps in again so it's it's definitely helpful to stay on top of it I think so can you remember back to your first sober Christmas then and what that was like and if there were any particular particularly difficult challenges that stick in your memory yeah today when I was thinking back um I realized like I've been trying to get sober for a good few years and had been before I became sober for you know four years consecutively um so I had a few sober advents in the run-up one in particular and I, I wrote about that today when I was thinking over it and um so at that stage I was able to navigate some of the obvious challenges like the office Christmas party or visiting friends and family um putting up the Christmas tree, usually that would be attended by a bottle of Baileys with some wine, you know, a glass of Baileys, which would turn into the rest of the bottle and then wine on top of that or whatever was knocking around in the house. Um, so, so I'd already navigated um, that. But I think one of the things that really struck me was as, as my children got older, the stress on top of that as a mum. So, um, finding that even though I'd say I'm not going to drink I'm not going to drink tonight I'm not going to drink Friday night definitely not be running around trying to get that iPad which was out of stock tracking it down writing to everybody around uh, bringing people in Ireland to see if they could get it there or relations in London if they could get it there or whatever it was all it was always one one thing that was needed for that list that just couldn't be got and then on top of that writing the Christmas cards for the family, organising the Christmas lists for the kids at school, ticking off the teachers with their flowers and their booze and my colleagues with their flowers and their booze. And by the time it would come to, you know, the Friday, probably before Christmas, I always found that was the time I may have wonderfully got through the Christmas parties and the gatherings and planned ahead with alcohol-free beer. But that one sneaky night, um breakup day for instance was always one of my scary times um and that's when I would think oh look sod it I'll just go and get some Baileys and I'll have a glass by the fire 
Yeah. So that was one of the times. I think the stress. Yeah, I was going to say it's that it's the build up. I think, and maybe I'm being sexist here, but I think particularly <laughs> it's the women who mm. who kind of have all of that responsibility or most of the responsibility of buying the presents, organizing the Christmas cards, deciding what's going to be cooked for dinner, doing the cooking, doing the wrapping, etc. And it's the kind of accumulative buildup of that, isn't it? That yeah. pushes people as they get closer to Christmas to just thinking, sod it, I need a drink. Yeah, that, that was the thing. And that's where I stumbled on a number of occasions. And I, I'm really cautious of Christmas because when I actually got my sober sober feet under me, that's I was doing really well. And I had about 60 days of constant sobriety under my belt when I was really going for it. And I had decided, Do you know, this drinking business is adding zero value to my life. I think it's time to challenge it. I think it's time to bin it. Um, and it was Christmas that did it. And again, it was breakup bloody day. It was breakup day. And I know that it was because of the stress. So I was, I acknowledged that at that time, at that time. But then it was just subtle things like the head saying, because I'm a teacher, go and have a drink. You've had a busy, you know, it's been a stressful term. Go on, you know, or friends saying, oh, go, go home, put your legs up, have a nice glass of wine. Um, and it was almost like I was looking for permission and I found it wherever, wherever I could, I would find it. Um, it was an excuse to see the liver building lit up as I drove by. Oh, look at that, isn't it fabulous? The sun's setting, it's, it's just so, so Christmassy and fabulous. And, um, and the, also that FOMO, that fear of missing out, you know, everybody else. I mean, people at this stage, you know, on social media, you, you log into social media and, and people are sharing pictures of, you know, breakup day glass of wine by the fire here we are you know it's there already isn't it in November yeah. Molly did you is that your experience that kind of accumulative pressure and stress of all the Christmas jobs that sort of pushes you to to drink in or was it different for you so it was different I think it was a bit different for me because I don't have children and my biggest hurdle I think the first Christmas that I got sober was my um, ex-husband was not happy at all with my decision to be not a non-drinker. Um, so the first, I've been sober for eight years and um, the first Christmas I was sober, we decided we were, I live in Florida and we were gonna go um, to Ireland for Christmas because that's where I'm from. And it was his second Christmas in Ireland and he was, you know, really putting the pressure on like you're going to drink when we go to Ireland aren't you and you know your whole family is going to be drinking and all this kind of stuff and I told him that I had no intentions of drinking when I was in Ireland I at this point I had um, almost about five months of sobriety and uh, so we went to Ireland and because we use it as a business expense we had first class tickets and we had the whole thing and he couldn't believe that I wasn't drinking and you know business class and it's all free and uh you know we landed in Dublin and then of course he wanted to go to the Guinness factory and the Jameson distillery and uh you know he was just couldn't believe couldn't believe it so we went and um uh he you know I told him I said like even when I was drinking like I never drank Guinness and I never drank Jameson so why would I drink them and he's like well you pour a pint of Guinness like you have to drink the Guinness I'm like no I won't. So that was so the first Christmas. So I was there for about 10 days in Ireland and 
I think everybody was shocked that I wasn't drinking because I was always the one who all throughout, um, there's six of us in my family and I was always the one that um, was always up for a party and I was the one living in America and when I'd come home, we'd all go out and, and that kind of thing. So luckily one of my sisters happened to be pregnant at the time. So I kind of hung around with her a bit and I just said, no, I'm just taking a break. And there was a lot of pressure because people were like, um, you, you can't you know, not drink at Christmas are you pregnant? You know, the usual stuff, you know, everybody was saying. And um, so, yeah, so that was probably the first Christmas, the first Christmas I found pretty tough, but I just kind of just dug my heels and was like, I'm, I got through Christmas and then we went, you know, every year me and my husband would have a, um, a New Year's party and all of our friends would come to our house on New Year's and um, I didn't drink and he was very upset, <laughs> very upset about that. Um, so since then we've, um, obviously, well, we've gotten divorced and so I've spent quite a few Christmases by myself and I would say that that has its own challenges. You know, you don't have all the pressures of kids and this and that, and, but you do have nobody watching you. So if you want to go drink, you can drink and you can do, you know, whatever you want. Um, so yeah, it's just it's a little different than um, running girls situation, but still definitely challenges as well. Yeah, thank you for that both. Um, so if you were thinking back to the first couple of Christmases, apart from sort of digging your heels in and being very, um, you know, kind of having that intention and being very sure that you didn't want to drink, were there any strategies that you can remember that particularly helped you running girl that, that from that first Christmas that stand out? Um, I've said this before, for me, it was definitely, definitely alcohol-free beer. Not so much alcohol-free wine, because that's just absolutely disgusting, I found. Except, having said that, festively, there's a fantastic Belvoir, I think it's Belvoir, um, that's kind of like a mulled wine, a non-alcoholic mulled wine that I used to heat up or just kettle and have with water and that was fab another thing that I loved in the um you know in the week on the weeknights my friend really kindly was was very conscious that I was trying not to have a glass of wine with dinner or in the evening she gave me an advent calendar with pocketees and that was just so lovely because every day of advent I had a different tea to look forward to at night um and I, I'd really recommend that Another thing I did was, because um, I love exercise, and I've done this, I was doing this when I was drinking, but I really threw myself into it from my first Christmas sobriety, was I do um, an exercise challenge where you run every day in December. Um, and, and it was like 5K or half an hour. But, you know, I'd just break it up sometimes. If it was really miserable outside, I'd do 10 minutes in the morning with the dog and then try and do another 20 in the day. And... Um, I found that was a lovely focus. And through that, I was able to meet people who were running early in the morning and I joined a group with them. And I, that really gave me a focus the night before. So I knew that I would be, you know, accountable to somebody. I, I'm meeting them at half six before work. And and that was, that was because prior to that, I could have really canceled and gone for a run in the evening when I was drinking in the earlier days. But, but this was one like, no, I have to do that. Um, so, so I found that useful, but definitely the alcohol-free booze, definitely bringing it to events and um, checking if I'm going for a meal in advance, I would ring the restaurant and find out, do they have an alcohol-free option? So you don't have that awkward, 
you know pause when you say have you got alcohol free and there's that oh what's that yeah they're getting better now but like four or five years ago there was still that pause and that awkwardness and then you know people would say oh you're not drinking what's going on but also that I'd, I'd also make sure that I'd be the designated driver that was a really useful thing to do um if I if I was going out um I stopped going into town as much to be honest in the, the first Christmas I really avoided town like the plague because it was just full of triggers with the lights and the music and people spilling out of pubs and um I just thought well I'll just shop online which you've got to be careful about if you're a mum with Alexa um that reminds you what your purchases are online and if you have children who say Alexa yeah, what's coming in the post <laughs> yeah no I've been I've been oh, sort of I've noticed that the people in the supermarkets who um, who stand there with the little free samples of spirits, new new Christmas spirits, and you can, you know, would you like to try this? And it, it really is kind of pushed in your face quite a lot, isn't it, when you're out and about in town or yeah. shopping physically rather than online? Yeah. So, yeah. Molly, what about your, can you remember any, any sort of particular tips like those of Running Girls that got you through the first few Christmases and you've had eight now is this your eighth or nine this will be, be my ninth nine yeah. yeah um so for me I think definitely with the exercise I always kind of um that's a famous saying on the on your website is like play the tape forward so I always had you know that in the back of my mind I don't want to wake up feeling like crap you know I've done this so, so many Christmases where I'm hungover and I can't enjoy the day and whatnot so I'd always make a plan to do some sort of um exercise in the morning or or something like that but I also always I treated myself a lot like the first I think the first year of me being sober and especially around Christmas time I bought myself like instead of using the money on wine or beer or whatever it was I bought myself really nice things so I would have the nice um, lotions and creams and you know maybe a new piece of workout equipment or um, a new bath bomb or just something um, and I didn't worry one bit about diet I didn't care about sugar I didn't care about anything like that because I just thought to myself but the only thing I have to do is not drink and if that's all uh, this this whole Christmas I do is not drink I'm not going to you know weigh myself I'm not going to do any of that and you know I there was a lot of um days where I would literally have a Magnum ice cream and peanut M&Ms because whatever. And I would look forward to it. And, I ha and, and also I had like, you know, guilty pleasure shows that I would keep, especially for Christmas time, you know, something like Desperate Housewives or something I wouldn't be caught dead watching, but like when somebody else was there, but, you know, um, I'd sit there with my popcorn, my, my ice cream, and I would enjoy it. And I didn't really worry about it too much because I knew that, you know, I'd be going for a long walk the next day. I'd feel really good. And I wouldn't have to worry about being hungover or doing something that I was embarrassed about or something like that. So I just every day was like, okay, tonight I'm going to uh, watch something, you know, a movie and I'm going to do this. I'm going to go to bed. I'm going to feel really good tomorrow. And, um, yeah, just like every day. And I was just like, all right, one more day. And can you believe it's been, you know, five months? Can you believe it's been six months? And, you know, it's just, I just kind of, I mean, it's the old famous saying a day at a time. And I think at Christmas time, you have to do that same thing. It's just a minute at a time, an hour at a time, and a day at a time. And, you know, just treat yourself as well as you can. Um, treat yourself yeah. like, 
why not right it's christmas why and not? you're buying all these gifts for everybody else i mean no that's you're doing yeah. yeah and great advice great strategies there from both of you i think the one day at a time thing is is really helpful for sort of the tend to combat the tendency to see christmas as a whole thing that becomes this massive overwhelming insurmountable mountain of terror yeah and you just break it down to christmas eve of just how what am i going to do on christmas eve to get through this what am i going to do to get through christmas morning how am i going to approach christmas day afternoon and take it just in bite-sized chunks instead of thinking about that massive holiday period as a as a whole helps but yeah great tips from both there so if you um so now you've both got 12 Christmases, alcohol-free Christmases between you, I think. What kind of lessons have you learned in terms of, and we're going to touch more on this in the next podcast, which is going to be about the best things about sober Christmas, but but what have you learned in the process of, of being sober or, or striving to get sober, especially at Christmas time? What are the sort of the biggest changes in your lives? Mm. Running girl, go back to you. Um, I have realized that I was completely numbed out and dumbed down for so many decades that you know the the magic the simple magic of Christmas and of every day of every day not just the Christmas season is is so easy to attain and to access that joy I, I feel awake I feel alive um, even when I'm half dead and knackered with stress from work during a pandemic, I still feel a million times better than I ever felt when I was drinking. Um, and I've realized that this, this is really significant and that the metaphor has been used so often before. It, it's like a debt collector booze. You know, you, you borrow for 20 minutes of, of a, a bit of a buzz that you, you keep chasing for the whole night. And then you're paying back so much, not just the next day, but you know, it affects your relationships, it affects your professional life, it affects your mental health, um, your your weight, your exercise, every everything, everything. So I I think that's one of the, the biggest lessons and that Christmas. I think being able to access Christmas and the joy of Christmas, like I did when I was a little girl, has been magical. And I don't take anything for granted. That's another thing I've learned, not to take a thing for granted. Really be present, really be there with the kids, with the family um, and connection. Connection's the key. It's always the key, I think. Yeah. So savoring those nourishing relationships and, and really enjoying enjoying it for the simplicity, the simplicity of it really. Yeah. Which is all, or are all brilliant, sort of life lessons in general aren't they but I think particularly applicable at Christmas because we have kind of or if we drink all the time and Christmas becomes about alcohol as it was for yeah. me yeah you do lose touch with all of that side of Christmas don't you the magical you know the childhood sort of magic of Christmas the family the presents yeah. you know all of that kind of goes sort of down the list of priorities doesn't it and it just becomes about an opportunity to drink yeah, I think it made me very cynical. Yeah. It just became, you know, from, you know, the next piss up from one piss up to the next. And um, 
even though I thought, I, I think I'd, I lied to myself a lot. I was deluded. I thought, oh, look at this, isn't it fab? We're all standing around the tree. And I was half cut. And, mm. and then, or the, or the worst would be when you actually black out, you know, when you've had a reunion, you haven't seen people like Molly. I'd go home to Ireland every Christmas and meet up with friends and family. And then, you know, these people who you haven't seen in ages. And then the next day, you know, there's whole chunks of evening lost. Ah, that's really sad, isn't it's it? It's really sad. Yeah. So thank you, Molly. Um, I have a, a different question for you. I, I know a lot of people really struggle with with sort of, um, let's call it the, the party sparkle without alcohol and trying to sort of muster up that feeling of, of glamour and, and getting excited for a, a Christmas night out or Christmas event. Have you had problem trying to muster that? Is it something that you've sort of managed to master over the years? Yeah, I think um, when I first stopped uh, drinking, I I really had, I was so worried about going to events and conferences, particularly for work and, and that kind of stuff as well. And um, what I found was um, that as similar to what I said about Christmas, like I would say to myself, okay, if it was something I had to go, I got very choosy about the events that I went to because I, you know, when I was drinking, I mean, I would go to anything. I would go to the opening of an envelope just so I could drink, right? But I um, got very selective about the things that I wanted to go to. And I am an introverted person and I get exhausted. So what I would do was I would go to events and I would make a special effort to get dressed up and feel good or whatever. But at the end of the night, I always knew I had a treat waiting for me at home, whether that was some guilty pleasure magazine or some show that I had on DVR um, or like some chocolate or whatever it was. I always had something. I was like, OK, I'm, you know, I'll have this to look forward to. I always drove myself to parties, um, especially around Christmas. I wasn't going to wait for um, back then. Actually, Uber wasn't even a thing, but I wasn't going to wait for an Uber or a taxi or anything like that. I was when I was ready to go, I was going to go and I, you know, arrived early. I did bring my own drinks like um, Running Girl. I brought something special. I got kind of went through the non-alcoholic beer phase for a while. Then I went through the kombucha phase for a while and kind of phased out that now. But um but yeah, so I'd bring my own stuff and, and I would really just try to engage and talk with people that I found interesting rather than, you know, always gearing towards the people who were drinking the most. That was my MO when I was drinking. I would hang out with those people. But when I didn't drink, I wanted to hang around with the people who were actually not drinking that much and I could have an intelligent conversation with them or a funny conversation. And we would talk about stuff and I would genuinely laugh and I'd be like, oh my God, this is what it feels like to communicate with people without alcohol. Like if I like somebody, it's actually fun, you know? So I, I kind of, every time I would just challenge myself to maybe talk to a new person or, and you know, like I said, I'm an introvert. I'd really rather be at home in my pajamas, but I'm forced myself to do it. And having those treats and then knowing in the morning I was going to wake up and go running or wake up and sit outside with my coffee in the morning and no hangover, no headache, um, you know, call somebody, whatever it was. I mean, it was just, I was always kind of playing it forward. That was like, after the party, I'm having this. Tomorrow morning, I'm going to do this, you know, and that's kind of what got me through, I think, those parties. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you. And Running Girl, finally, same question to you. What about the sort of party events 
getting dressed up that that kind of I suppose a lot of, a lot of us associate alcohol with that don't we and, and in the early days I know I sort of wondered how on earth I would get that feeling of excitement or anticipation for an evening if, if alcohol wasn't there did you experience mm. that? Yes, I did. And the other thing that always accompanied, you know, getting ready to go out was always the inevitable wine. <clears throat> I'd always have a glass of wine on the go. So what I used to do was I would make sure that I'd do something really good for myself, like Molly, like for me to get my hair done is a big thing. So if I was, you know, planning a night out, I would make sure that I'd go and get a, just a, a blow dry, you know, not, not anything else, just a blow dry or go and get my nails done. I'm not really into that although I do now since I've since I've got sober that's one of my sober treats getting my nails done it's, it's mad um so so that would always be a lovely little process or I'd go into town buy myself a new piece of makeup maybe some lipstick or some lovely Jo Malone perfume I got into Jo Malone in the early days and uh, oh my god that was always great um so because I had a little bit more money because like you Molly I wasn't spending out on booze and also I tried really hard to to get into my head and like to visualize so I'd visualize what it would be like in there if I was going out you know where there'd be some dancing I would be sure to dance and I'm I'm, I'm quite extroverted so I really thrive in a social environment so the initial awkwardness I, I didn't really ever have that as such, although I did have that, you know, 20 minutes at the beginning again of missing out when everybody was drinking. But because I was in that mental space, I knew that I would be able to dance and have fun. And, and you know, in the very early days, I was hellbent on being the life and soul still. Um, so that was important to me, though. It was important for people to see. I think it was my resistance to their, oh, you know, fun if you don't drink. Oh, it's so boring, blah, blah, blah. And I was really, really um, focused on proving everybody wrong. And I did. <laughs> so I was dead proud of myself. And, and I still do. I still enjoy the crack and everything. And, Good. Well, yeah. that's very, very inspirational. I'm, <laughs> I'm a bit of an introvert. I'm say I'm not. I'm. I don't think I've. I'm just trying to think if I've ever danced sober. It's probably something I've never ever done. Oh my Maybe god! As, I know. Isn't that really? terrible? Admission after ten years. I know. I'm not. I'm not a dancer. But I used to probably be a terrible dancer when I was drunk. But like, better, better to be sober and not dancing for me. <laughs> Well, Lucy, one of, one of the challenges um, that I host a few years ago, we did a playlist for the 100 day thread and we all contributed music over the festive season for New Year's Eve. But another time I shared a dance track or just any track, really, but something to make people dance every day in December. And I called it Dance December. Yeah. And, and it was Molly, I think you were involved in that, were you? Oh, not a dancer, but I was, I was an observer, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> I was observing with you, Molly. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe we should re, maybe we should re, yeah. uh, reignite the old yeah. hundred day dance, dance challenge for December, I think. Yeah. It was good fun because it just meant like just dance, just dance in your kitchen in the morning. Who cares? But it's just a way of shaking, shaking you out of a mood or distracting mm -hmm. yourself. You know, it's it's fab. And it's and good. It's good for lifting, lifting your mood. Definitely. I don't mind. I'm not averse to dancing on my own in the kitchen. I'll do that. <laughs> That's my limit. 
<laughs> so we'll thank you both that was really really helpful loads of really good practical tips there that i'm sure will be very useful to people listening especially if it's your first sober christmas which i know is is quite a scary thought i can remember mine and i think my main strategy was de-alcoholized wine which was absolutely disgusting <laughs> had one glass of it and pulled it all away so i wouldn't recommend that not unless it's improved a lot since 2011 um so we, our next podcast, was, it will be with the same guests, Running Girl and Molly underscore three, just to differentiate from any other Mollys on Sober Christmas. And we will be talking about the best things about Sober Christmas. So a bit more of a, an aspirational, happy, kind of upbeat, what is great about not drinking at Christmas. But I hope you found that helpful. Um, and... I know I did. It was really lovely talking to you both. And thanks for joining us um, today for this podcast. Oh, thanks, thanks, Lucy. For